On today's show, we have Adam De Silva. He's a director and a founder of the production company Explore Impossible. We talk about moving into motion away from stills, treatments, and working with larger teams while still remaining flexible. It's a super interesting chat full of really, really good inside knowledge. So please get yourself a drink, get yourself comfortable, and let's enjoy. Cue loud mouse click. Loudest, you, honestly, I swear you've got the loudest mouse. I'd love to see the size of it. It's huge. Like, massive. Huge. I can only imagine. Can only imagine. Well, I can see it. It is massive. For all the listeners at home, biggest mouse on the planet. You should see the, the you know, the balls inside the mouse. It's the size. <laughs> is it, it's the size. Is it of like the Indiana ball. Jones? Is it like the Indiana Jones trying to, yeah, which, yeah. yeah running away from it? Yeah. Anyway, how are you? Yeah, not too bad. You you sound like you're um still not recovered from, or is this just now your voice? This is I f- I feel like now Mr. as Benson we're a couple of Hedges. weeks later. Yeah, right. I th- I do. Well, I feel like we're a couple of weeks later. This is now my permanent voice. Yeah, this is what it's, Clubhouse um, has done to you. Yeah, this is it. I I've never had social media affect me in this kind of way. <laughs> I mean, Cl- Clubhouse does sound like the name of a brand that a good cigar company would have had. It uh, yeah, it does, doesn't it? You want a good time, Monte Cristo? Have a clubhouse. (laughs) Yeah, either that or some kind of product placement in the Truman Show. (laughs) So uh, yeah, you've you've obviously not lessened your addiction to that medium. Is it the new big thing in your life? It is. It's the biggest thing in my. No, it's not. Obviously, my child is, but you know, it's it is. But a close second. um, A <laughs> close second. Uh, yeah, no, it's great. I still love it. You know, chatting to people from Poor all over Shana. the world. Poor Shani, yeah, right. She's <laughs> she's up, she's she's upset. She's on it though, so she she's, loves it as she's well. Coming in third at the moment, mate. That's not, that's <laughs> not cool. Clubhouse um, Clubhouse is the fourth okay, most important good. thing in my life. The, no, honestly, it's cool. Uh, the the trouble is, what I've learned is that you have to when you go into a room, you kind of have to be like, right, who's speaking? Because there are some people who they might not necessarily be wor- not worth listening to, but they might not be as experienced, but they might be very good at talking themselves up, is what I've learned. And it's still, it still absolutely blows my mind. I had this wonderful thing where we were chatting in a room, not me and you, but I was chatting in a room. And an American told me that me as an Englishman had butchered the English language. And then he kept Tell, talking about his niche and i was just like i know we covered this in, in the last episode but i i, I it's still I, annoying you <laughs> still it still is absolutely grating my goat well i think the thing with clubhouse that's kind of interesting and as you said it's not i mean it's obviously early days for it is is obviously the the um you you can find groups where you're going to get quality chat mm. and then there are going to be groups that are kind of a bit random and you jump in and maybe they're not so good but mm. I mean, obviously, that's where exposed negative comes to the rescue because we only have quality chat and ours, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was so with so much confidence, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, I mean, we we basically are planning to make ours more regular. So, I mean, to the listeners out there, um, if you're not if you are on it, then you can find us. We're both on there under our individual names rather than an exposed negative moniker just yet so mm-hmm. um if you follow either one of us um you should be kind of uh what's the word familiar no 
my mind's gone totally blank. You should it should be it should be flagged when we're doing something, basically. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Yeah. No, ho- hopefully. It's been a long morning. Um, <laughs> it, has been, it has been a long morning. You know, we're pumping we're pumping these out. It's yeah. uh, you know, it's well, been what, a long it's been a long week. We've we uh we also we're planning on doing another frequently asked question episode. Tom and Greg give a fact. So <laughs> you, we want your questions. We want your questions to write in to uh to, to the PO box. Um and yeah, if you if you message us with either email or send stuff over on Insta, we'll try and do an entire episode devoted to your questions. Mm. Make them specific if you can. Uh specific questions are easier to answer than general questions, but you know, and you don't have to limit it to one, but try to keep it under ten. Um or or five. Um, but yeah please do please do send your stuff in obviously uh whilst it gives us stuff to talk about um it is you know one of the main reasons we started this podcast is to try and help so you know and if you and if you feel like you want to ask a question but you don't want to get you know your name attributed to it so if you want to ask ask anything but just tell us in the message that you would like it to be anonymous and we'll not read your name out and you can ask whatever even if you're the world's most experienced pro and you've got a super basic question that really you think you should know the answer to but you're a bit embarrassed to ask there is zero judgment here send it in just let us know you don't want your name in it and we will do our very best well we we will do our best we will not include your name in it that is an ironclad guarantee uh yeah if you do want if you do want your name in it just don't don't put that that's also an ironclad guarantee. Look at me, I mean, just dishing out these ironclads all the time. Today's episode has actually come off the back of a few of the questions that we've had. We've had quite a few questions from photographers interested in transitioning across to video. And mm. um, so as a direct response to that, we went out and sourced a guest that we thought would um, really do a good job of answering some of those questions and giving you kind of some guidance or through line that you can potentially follow in your own careers if that's something you're interested in doing or something you're thinking about doing so and he's a bloody nice guy so really nice guy i think without further ado we should probably get into it because it is a long one so uh enjoy guys This week on the pod, we are delighted to be joined by director and founder of Explore Impossible production company, Adam De Silva. Adam uh, transitioned into shooting moving image after a career in stills, and we put him on today to talk about that move and all that was involved. So, Adam, welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks for having me. Um, full disclosure from the from the top, um, we used to be in the same studios, didn't we? We did many, many moons ago, a long, long time ago. Well, we say we were in. I was barely ever in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> we um, those days are past. You know, you've moved on. You've left. That's fine. I'm not bitter. Um, <laughs> talk us through a little bit about kind of your your background. So you were a predominantly a kind of advertising commercial stills photographer. And then you transitioned into setting up in Explore Impossible, um, which is a production company. And now you direct and you produce films for, you know, big, big brands. Um, so, yeah, talk us through a little bit of your backstory. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I always find it interesting when people ask this because back in the day, mine felt like a really odd way to get into the industry. And now it seems like there's so many different ways in. And as I've progressed and learned, there is loads of ways. But yeah, mine was basically, I always knew... My dad was always into photography, so like growing up, I used to sneak upstairs to his bedroom and like take out his contacts camera and build it, and was always like sort of obsessed with that and always playing with that, and and then sort of always loved it. And then my parents bought me a um, a film camera, like a Nikon film camera, and I started shooting more and more on that. And then by this point, my sister was studying photography at A level, and obviously she's a little bit older than me, so. I just picked it up from there and got really into it. And then I went and did A-level photography, but actually wind back a little bit previous to that, I was shooting a lot of skate videos uh, with my friends. So I used to skateboard a lot and was always out shooting skate videos and making stuff. And then got really into, I was in a band and I was really into music videos. And at the time I was studying GCSE media studies. And I said to the, to the lecturer who was also the photography lecturer, and I said, oh, I really want to, when I grew up, I really want to shoot um, music videos. And he was like, no, 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 no. You don't want to do that. No, absolutely not. That's not a career. You do not want to do that. You'll never, mm. you'll never make money making video. So you should probably look into photography. So I was like, oh, okay. And and went into photography and did that and absolutely fell in love with it. Like spent every minute I could in the dark room. And, and then was still sort of deciding what I wanted to do at university, knew I wanted to be photography, but I didn't know exactly what area because um, my sister had studied uh, fine art photography and I always felt like that wasn't for me and I didn't really have an interest in that side of things. And then I was studying, I was still studying media studies at A-level and I saw this, we were looking at this old Bernardo's campaign, this like classic Bernardo's uh, campaign, stills shoot. And in it, there was this shot of this baby in an alleyway. It was like a comp and this baby in an alleyway. And it said like John Donaldson 23 or something. And it was a shot of him like shooting. They'd shot it. So it looked like the baby was injecting himself with a needle, like sat in this alleyway. And so I like, I remember I ripped the page out of the textbook and I took it home and I said to my mum, I was like, I know what I want to do. I know what I want to do. And like, I showed her, I was like, I want to do this. And she was like, what, babies with heroin? <laughs> and I was like, no, 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 I want to make like interesting images like this for like magazines and adverts. And she was like, oh, okay, cool. Mm. And then from there, I started researching it a bit and found the editorial and advertising photography course in Cheltenham, big up Cheltenham. And so the University of Gloucestershire and uh and then yeah i went and studied that luckily managed to get on i think they must have just had a lapse in judgment on the day the guy who interviewed me was like really fluey and uh and they let they let me in and i went and did that and i absolutely fell in love with it and it just further reinforced that i wanted to work in advertising and um and like commercial work and so i did that and then uh, worked worked my ass off really, which isn't normally like me, but um, so I knew I knew that I was really passionate about it. And then at my graduation show, I met a guy who worked an agent. He owned an agency in London, and they were like a, a creative agency that specialised in um, experiential for big brands and stuff. And so he he said, "Oh, we've got a job um, going as a junior photographer." And do you want to, do you want to try out for it? And he said, but full disclosure, um, you're up against like four other people and 
we really want to go and you're the only guy. And to be honest, we're only interviewing you because uh, to tick a box, basically, basically to tick a box. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. That, that's fine. So I went down and did the interview and managed to get the job and went in as a junior photographer in there straight from the off. And so weirdly never did the whole assisting route and went in and straight away from the off. I remember like the first day they sent me off on a, on like a cancer research job up in Manchester. And then I had to get the train across to go and shoot this thing for sky. And, uh, and so it was really exciting and it was a hell of a like baptism of fire, but I was really lucky. I was mm. sort of following in the footsteps of people who had done really well off the back of this agency role, people like uh, Brent Sturton and Lee Von Biss. So Lee Von basically left and I replaced, and then the guy, Pat Dolan, stepped up into senior and I went in as a junior and worked my way up from there and was there for like four years. And then um, I got made redundant. And I was like, oh, fuck, what am I going to do? How am I going to survive? And like, I'm not, I'm not ashamed to admit, I remember ringing my mum and dad like in tears, being like, I'm going to have to leave London. Like, I can't, I can't stay here and I can't do it. And my dad was like, you've always wanted to do it for yourself. Like, just, just go for it. And I was like, yeah, do you know what? Sod it, I'll try it. And, um, and just jumped into freelancing. And luckily, obviously being embedded in an agency, people jump around from agency to agency. I'd already got, and I didn't realize I'd already got a network of people and pretty much instantly work just started coming in from there and, um, and started shooting more and more. And, and yeah, and then did stills. I'd sort of dabbled in motion at the, um, when I was working at the agency and then shoot stills. And then off the back of that started shooting a bit of video um off the back of jobs and and then that started to snowball and pick up speed and i was getting more and i was getting booked more for video rather than photography and photography was like a little add-on oh can you do some stills as well which was it was sort of weird and um but i i instantly i just connected with uh, video a lot more and i think mm-hmm. having worked as a stills photographer for so long I felt like that was for me, it was a really lonely existence and I missed, I don't know, I, looking back, yeah, looking back, I missed <laughs> that tribe and that team aspect of it. And then I sort of found that in, in video and that f- almost family vibes and, and lent into that. And I quickly was yeah doing more and more of it. And I realized very early on that, I couldn't fully give myself to directing and being a photographer at the same time. And I, other people may disagree, but for me, I had to sort of take a step back and think like, I can't focus on the bigger picture of directing like a narrative story and mm. be shooting the stills at the same time. Cause I just, I couldn't separate the two. Um, even mm. though it'd be like, put the camera down and, and like now grab the stills camera and shoot that. So I made an active effort to sort of step back and um, and just focus on on directing and still shoot still shoot stills still do um, a lot of stills uh, like commissions like still a lot of travel work and stuff but um, I don't really push that it's uh, very much the uh, yeah directing. Hmm. And how does I mean that's uh it's it's interesting that you've made that conscious choice because I think a lot of photographers who do do moving image kind of struggle with the fact that. Um, and are probably reluctant to take it on on jobs sometimes where you're asked to do both because you know that one is going to suffer. 
you know like it's very difficult to 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 get your best work if you're having to split your creative mind in two to do okay focus on the moving and then focus on the stills in a short space of time Hmm. like there are ways to do it but quite often the odds are stacked against you in terms of what the client needs and you know that things are going to suffer and more often than not the client might not even see the kind of things that you see that you think you wish you'd been able to spend more time on but it still i mean we've all been in those situations as photographers where you've gone I wish I was doing one or the other rather than having to kind of make both work in a way that I'm not a hundred percent happy with. Mm. But so, I mean, I kind of, I'm interested then to see, you know, what obviously moving aside and saying, right, I'm going to direct. How did you then kind of build up a, you know, find people? Cause I mean, working as a team, you've got to create a great team. So talk us through kind of that side of things and creating a team, finding people around you with the skills to kind of develop that. So in the early days, it was kind of weird. Like I uh, met a group of guys through, so I reached out to a guy on Vimeo. I had this, I had this commission to shoot something for an outdoors brand um, and with like this adventurer explorer guy. And, um, and I knew from the off that I just wanted to direct that and I didn't want to shoot the stills and, and, um, and try and direct the video. So, and I, but at this point I had stepped away. I'd also realized that my skills did not lie in camera operating. (laughs) And, uh, so I knew that I needed a DP, like it's just not my, not my forte. Like as a photographer, I'm super comfortable shooting and I'll still operate on jobs. I'll still operate a camera if needs be. And sometimes when like, I'll be conveying to a DP what I want and they're like, sometimes I can't get it across. Sometimes I'll be like, do you mind if I just take the camera and I'll operate occasionally, but it's like, it's super rare. And so I knew that I needed a DP. So I basically found this guy on Vimeo, reached out to him and he he came and met me but he also brought all of his um basically his crew that he worked with um and they were all sort of northampton based as well so it was kind of weird because i was always down in london and then met these guys that were still creating this amazing work but they were outside of the london network and for me Mm -hmm. i was it was i'd never really thought about that i thought everything was so london centric and Mm -hmm. um and basically yeah he from there met a few guys and then and worked with the worked with a few of these guys he introduced me to a couple of other camera operators and whatnot and basically when it came to doing the job he wasn't available so he introduced me to this to this other dp and uh, and his crew and i just got on really well with those guys and weirdly the one of those guys was um uh, josh money who um i started exploring possible with and uh, and yeah we we worked together from from sort of day one on jobs and i really liked him and he was he was super talented and super young he was like 18 at this point and just crazy talented and um, and yeah we started working together more and more so like finding finding crew it's sort of a for me it's an organic process and it's sort of recommendations mm-hmm. of it's people seeing that people have worked with this person and if i've worked with someone and i see that like oh, they get on well with that person, then they'd fit well on my set. And for me, mm-hmm. it's, it's with crew, especially, and with anyone, it's finding the right people to vibe off on set and not having people that clash. So everyone, like, there's, I like to have a sort of 
certain chilled relaxed atmosphere and we can joke and mess about but still everyone's like laser focused on what we need to accomplish and get done and and so i've mm-hmm. sort of managed to over the over the years find crew that sort of work that way but then as you step into the bigger into the bigger um jobs you basically it's just down to recommendations and 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 also looking at um like crewing websites and finding people off finding people off there mm-hmm Nice. And how do you kind of keep your ship kind of organized when it's like that? Because you must have different skill sets, I guess, is what you need. Because you need somebody who's a type producer who can kind of keep everything in line and then check. You also need the creative. And I mean, this is for, for stills photographers. You know, if you're working on ad jobs, you'll be working with producers and what have you. But for a lot of editorial or personal projects, you're kind of, you're doing everything. And let's face it, you're never going to have, you might have broad skills, but you're never going to be the world's best producer or the world's best this and the world's best shooter and the world, you know, mm. like this, it's just too much for one person to have. Whereas now you can kind of split that and you can have a team that you're like, they're a shit hot producer. They're a shit hot DP. You know, they're a shit hot sound guy or sound girl. you like, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's good in that sense, but do you, as you what's your role kind of evolved into do you have you had to take on kind of more of say organizing the business side of things is there stuff that you've had to learn and develop in yourself to be able to be successful yeah i mean definitely i've had to take on more of the the reason the reason why i started the production company um like why me and Josh sort of said, Let, let's make this and make it happen was I wanted to grow. It just felt like a natural progression, really. And I, it felt like a good time to to come together and start something that was bigger, that, that could be bigger than just us. And it meant that I could work on bigger jobs and and also not have to do everything myself. But it also freed mm-hmm. me up to work on the business. So not just not just doing <clears throat> not just doing the day to day and and doing all the doing and all the producing but that's not to say i mean at explore impossible we are all multi like multifaceted and we we don't like we, we can all do a lot of different things and we're we're equally all quite good in certain areas we specialize in others like definitely josh is great in the camera department and he's like our head of production and he he runs he basically runs the show and i just i just sit there and pretend that i know what we're talking about a lot of the time um but uh <laughs> but no it's uh <laughs> the yeah i think it starting exploring possible like i say it just it freed me up to focus on the bigger picture like career wise it freed me up to be able to focus on not being so on the tools and being able to see the bigger Mm. picture like when we're on set i can just do my role as a director but Mm. in a company sense it freed me up to okay now i've got more time to go and look for work in this area or in this area and i can where i i find that sometimes I was so busy before doing all the doing that I got my head sort of stuck in the sand. And before you knew it, you were down this rabbit hole going in this direction that you didn't want to go at all. And you were sort of trapped Mm. and you were getting the same sort of jobs and the same sort of work. Whereas now I feel like I can sometimes take a break because I know that other stuff's getting handled and I can take my head out of the sand and be able to work on 
or like be able to go okay right maybe we need to stop focusing on this and we need to go back to the dna of what we were when we started the company and go down this route now hopefully that makes sense yeah i think it's a common mistake by people starting out as well in terms of when it comes to pricing and stuff is that people end up trapping themselves because unless you're costing your work um correctly you can end up chasing the jobs just to keep afloat whereas obviously if you are in a situation where you want to be able to have the time and the space to actually find the type of work you're doing you ideally want to be doing less jobs for more money rather than as many jobs as possible for not very good rates and there's there's always that transition period in people's careers where they kind of get to that point where they make that that shift or they come to that realization. Um, and I think that makes a massive difference. If you can actually say, you know what, this I'm prepared not to get all the jobs I'm going for, and I'm going to go for these bigger jobs because that's how you're going to get the biggest clients. But also, you know, those jobs, I mean, the, you shot something recently for the PlayStation five launch and you were saying it was like six weeks of production. And then obviously during a pandemic, you're directing all this stuff across the world, across multiple countries. You're having to direct that remotely. I think you had teams in like Brazil and Korea and all over the place that you were directing from the UK. Um, six weeks of production, that's like, that's that's going to be all you're going to be doing for those six weeks. And that's going to be full on. But I guess some people when they're starting out, they don't necessarily think of production as part of the job mm. you know they make the mistake of thinking okay um it's going to be a couple of days of shooting and pre-production is massive and i see that a lot in photography as well people not putting not considering that pre-production is actually part of what they should be costing I, they don't seem to understand that it's important i made a note sort of before this to it's sort of funny to talk about this because when you compare the two industries i feel like <laughs> And maybe this was just me not being a great photographer, but I feel like the pre-production is far more valued in motion and taken, and it's a big part of the process. Whereas in stills, mm -hmm. it feels like sort of, oh, I've sort of got an idea of what I'm going to do and I know what kit I need and I'll book the crew that I need. And I just sort of, I, well, that for me, I, I used to sort of just rock up to jobs and sometimes even just wing it. And just go, not even go there with a plan of what to do, and sort of just wing it on on the day, and not on the not on the bigger stuff, but on more the editorial stuff. Whereas mm. now, pre production, I would say is yeah, I'd say it's like ninety percent of my of my job is 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 in in there, and and but I love it for that as well because I get to work again, like I said, like the collaborating with people and leaning on other people and leaning and looking at other department heads and getting their input on something and it not just being sort of my vision all the way through. Um, like I'm, I'm not amazing at looking at how to use, like let's say like to use color palettes and like costume and getting them to work together. Whereas like I can go to a DP and get their input and they make it so much better. <laughs> I remember reading a mm. business book, like growing up, and it was like, if you want to be good, surround yourself with people that are better than you. <laughs> and like, and that's what I did as a photographer. I just surrounded myself with people that were better than me at lighting, and mm. and and they would help me and lift me, and I learned so much off them. And the same thing applies even on the bigger jobs. It still applies the same way. Like, just find people that can help make your craft better. And build mm -hmm. it that way. Do you, 
Do you think the the kind of the um, the less emphasis on pre-production for stills is due to it just being a, a smaller team? I think it's smaller team. Yeah, but I also think I don't know. Because I, I guess on 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 moving images, huge, much larger teams. You know, we're talking twenty people, whereas on the stills, there might just be the photographer and an assistant. Yeah, I think it's also, I don't know if it's a mindset thing in the industry that it, even on some of the, like, even on some of the stills jobs that I'll do now, it still feels like it used to feel, it's not as much now, but it used to feel, and people might say I'm completely wrong, and so if I am, I apologise, but it used to feel like I would turn up to the job and the photography was almost like an aside to this big video production and it shouldn't feel mm-hmm. it shouldn't feel like that like and i think that comes that but i don't think that's down to oh the client has some thought about the photography i think it comes down to photographers applying pre-production heavily from the start and like for me like even on a stills job i'll still make a treatment even on a stills job i'll still mm-hmm. make a treatment and i'll still make mood boards and i'll still make even on like the smaller things whereas back in the day that's that's something that i've transferred over from motion on stills whereas back in the day mm-hmm. I, I i never i never did that it was just sort of like i say um would just sort of wing it a lot of the time do you think also there's a there's a, a big part of clients going oh we can save on a bit of cost here. Let's get the stills in on the same on the same day, uh, and then they could just drop out for a few minutes. You know, they grab the talent from here, and you know, I've I've done huge numbers of jobs like that. It's be, it feels like it's becoming very 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 common. Yeah, I think so, and I think like when we so when we have photographers on our jobs now, I make a very active effort. Like if 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 I'm bringing someone on as a photographer to shoot a job. They get as much time as we get and their craft is as important as ours. So if we're booking a photographer, like I, I treat them with as much respect because they're as, as important as everyone else in the crew. Whereas I think uh, maybe, and again, I might be wrong, but a lot of other production companies might not do that because they haven't, they haven't, they've come up through a different system and photography does to them feel like a bit of an aside because it has on a lot of other mm-hmm. jobs. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's a, a, a systematic thing, but I think it's a, a thing that photographers could, could fix themselves, could, could sort by just applying themselves a lot more in the, in, in the pre-production stage. But again, mm-hmm. like that, that a lot of people might like you guys are probably, I don't know. Do you, do you do a lot of pre-production on jobs or? It's job dependent, I think. I feel like I do, I do more, a lot more now than I ever used to in yeah. terms of, because you come to the realization that actually the more prepared you are, the more likely you are to get the thing that you want out of a situation. Mm-hmm. And it really depends on on editorial jobs. You might not have the time or the information to even do much pre-production. You can research stuff, but quite often there's so many unknowns. Mm-hmm. But in those situations, you know, I've done portrait jobs where I've actually pre-lit five different scenarios using computer 3D software and turned up knowing with all of the lighting dra- diagrams printed out that I can give to my assistant because I know I've got 20 minutes with that person and I want to get five different looks out of it. Mm-hmm. And that's a game changer because suddenly those hours that I've put in, sat in front of my computer in the studio, kind of um, creating 
the kind of mood board for myself allows me to get the type of pictures that I want to get out of that situation. But of course, mm-hmm. there's still unknown variables because you turn up and suddenly the person's like, no, I'm not wearing that today or I'm not doing that today or whatever. I think with moving image, because it's so much more complicated in terms of so many moving parts, um, there has to be more pre-production because otherwise it would just be an utter shit show. You wouldn't get anything done. <laughs> you can't. You You can't make good moving image just like turning up and winging it like mm. unless you're doing real documentary stuff then maybe but but i think aside from that you just fall flat on your face no, 100%. so the people that don't don't put the work in would probably just be out of business because no one would hire them whereas in photography it's probably a little easier because there's less moving parts to get away with it mm. and so there are more people who do get away with it on a regular basis and therefore a bit more slack with their pre-production i mean in, mm. in the sort of in the in the motion world i mean on the bigger stuff we will have um like an ad a first ad a second ad and their their job is to basically i'll sit down with them beforehand and work up as we'll work together on a schedule of how we'll attack the day and their job is to to help you get through and make sure that you're keeping schedule you're getting all the stuff right if we need to drop they'll they'll also help us decide like okay we're a bit behind here but we can make the time up the schedule is sort of really strict and regimented well my set is anyway and Mm -hmm. and we can sort of say like we're a little bit behind here okay we could probably drop this shot or we could get these together and we can we can sort of shoot them back to back, and and having a good AD is 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 really good on set. But on the smaller on the even on mm. the smaller stuff, we still have even on the smaller stuff when we're rocking around with like a, an agile sort of three man crew, which which we do which we do a lot. Um, we will still have a strict sort of schedule, and and we'll go. I'll go with the DP, and we will block out shots and have it really clear in our head that okay so say like the um say like a dr martin's job although that looks very docu and straightforward the stuff that we've done for them every shot that's in there we've gone and scouted every single bit and we sort of grabbed frames and different and no and then we'll use um i don't know if you've got the app artemis um so there's an mm-hmm. app, yes. yeah so yeah. we we use Artemis and we'll know exactly what focal length we're going to be on, um, where yeah. we're going to be, the angle and whatnot, and we and just get it really clear. And for me, that's like I'm very very thorough, too thorough yeah. in, every, in everything that I do, even even down to like I have to read. Neat, I take so long on a lot of things because I just want to make sure it's right and I don't want to do it again. Like it was the mm. same thing that I was always taught by my dad, like measure twice and cut once. And I still apply yeah. that. I still apply that to, to my professional work. With, with you've mentioned Artemis, uh, have there been other things, or other apps, other systems or anything like that, that you've found that help your pre-production? So when you, when you're doing, um, you know, your, 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 you mentioned your treatments. So I, used to find treatments a real pain in the ass because i would sit down and i'd be like oh great i've got to do this treatment from scratch but then i spent a bit of time and i created i, I use affinity publisher but loads of people use indesign or keynote and stuff like that and then i i was creating kind of like a treatment layout and so now when i do a treatment i can i can do a treatment in half an hour i know where all the images are i've got this treatment um 
template that I just drop everything into and then write the, the correct bit of text. And then that saves, you know, treatments done in half an hour, whereas I used to spend a full day on it. Do you Have you kind of got templates and stuff like that set up or do you... No, on treatments, I we did we discussed having a sort of uh, having a template set, but it, do you know what we get told so many times that we win jobs a lot of the time off the back of our treatment because it okay. it, it, it it looks good. We'll speak their we'll speak their message. We'll we'll speak their language, and and a lot of the time, so a lot of our all of our treatments are bespoke and mm-hmm. it take, but it takes like you say it's a lot longer but for me the treatment is a really important tool because that is the foundation of what everything else is built off and mm. so from day one like i want to make sure that i'm going down the right route so for me i spend a lot of i actually spend a lot of time um on the treatments myself and myself and josh um at ei will sit down and um basically my art, uh, my process is I uh, will, well, we will um, both go away and write tons of copy of what we think and whatnot. And Josh's will be more on the, uh, the technical side of things. And then mine's more on like, the, the creative and write down, mm-hmm. write just basically just a brain dump of lots and lots of stuff. And then I go through and tighten that up and tighten that up and, and go through it a few times, strip it right down to its essence then go on to the visuals and just do like a trawl for for reference imagery and i'm mm-hmm. i've always i've always had like a pretty good memory like i can basically remember where in a book i've read a certain part of something so like when i was doing my dissertation i didn't really i would highlight stuff but i never made note of what of the page numbers or not because for weirdly mm. and i don't know how but i can sort of always remember where things are so like photography like photography and photographers like i i can always hark back to like say like that bernardo's campaign i know when i saw that when i was like 16 i know it was shot by nick giorgio and i know that it said like john donaldson 23 i've in no way got a photographic memory at all mm. but i remember oh that photographer like oh ollie burns style would be really good for this let's go have a look at that oh, and i'll go mm-hmm. and look like his website and whatnot and i mean there are things that we there are things that we do use to streamline um and there's like the uh the secret the, the secret source that um i would i will share but i would love to keep to myself so everyone doesn't use it um but there's a website um which i've been using recently called uh shot deck and I don't know if you guys have seen it, but you sign up to shop there. I've heard of it. Yeah, and um, you can basically go on and type in like eye, and you type in you're like looking for a shot of an eye to go into a treatment, and you can and it will literally search for all. But they're all stills taken from like amazing films, like beautiful cinematic films. Oh, cool! And and it's not like. It's not like going on Getty and typing I, and you just get like loads of awful, <laughs> disgusting, yeah, yeah. Be like some clown, like rubbing his eyes or something. Um, like shot, shot, shot decks are amazing for that. Because you can basically, you can also search, like you can even search like composition. So you can be like center mm-hmm. frame, center frame, back of car like those things and then it'll bring up all these shots where the guy's sat in the middle seat of the back seat of a car and that's oh that's exactly mm-hmm. what i need for that so like you, you right. can pick that and build and so there's there's things like that that i use to streamline it but um but generally everything's done quite bespoke um mm-hmm. and and because like i say we we get a lot of work off the back of the treatments and and so 
that's uh, in terms of kind of your pre-production, that's kind of what you used. What do you use for kind of keeping the um, the business kind of running in terms of, do you have any CRMs that you use or are you old school and you use spreadsheets? What's that, What's your kind of take on that? We are um, pretty old school, to be fair, like super, super old school. So I'm not, I don't particularly like, automation and things that do do stuff for me and help out right and that might and again this is probably the worst thing to do but for my process i like to and and luckily like a lot of the other guys we we've tried we've tried other things but we still use google drive and we keep track of everything in google drive and we use spreadsheets and i think that comes from especially like if you're working on a project and you're bringing in a producer or an executive producer from somewhere everyone knows how to, you don't have to spend like for us as a business we don't have to spend time showing someone a system sure they everyone knows how to use a spreadsheet everyone knows how to use yeah. it so like on a job we'll have we'll basically from day one we'll make a to-do list and and we'll have like and that and that will obviously grow but we'll have like the all the main things we need to tick off and then we'll have like a to-do like in action so another column we'll like and we basically go through it until all the columns are lit green like that that job mm-hmm. is not complete or that person is right. not booked or that is not confirmed or 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 anything like that like we haven't had the contract signed or anything like that but we have and it's sort of a foolproof system so that you can have like five different people all working on the same job and we're all looking at the same thing and there's not anything sort of missed and and yeah yeah I, I, it's just a bit of an old school way of doing it but it work it works for us so do you write people's names in the colored squares to know who's assigned to which task yeah yeah so you'll yeah. you'll basically put like um adams i like it'll be like a job to do and then next to it will be like the person's task and it'll be like adam mm-hmm. or josh or team and that's anyone or andy and and like max and whatnot and it will be all these different people's roles are, are in there and, and everyone knows their sort of their their role but on like a bigger production it, it is very much all hands on deck and everyone mm. Get get in and get stuck in and like oh i've seen that job hasn't been done so i'll just quickly jump on that with with the that's quite a cool system because obviously whilst you know it's it's basic it works um when you guys do get the bigger productions in that also means you can expand and contract kind of as necessary so you're not having to suddenly you know hire in 20 people full time and then train them up on a new system you're bringing in freelancers who know how spreadsheets work you just give them access to the 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 thing you need them to be able to work on um and obviously that makes you you guys as a as a small production company incredibly flexible right yeah 100% and it also means that all of our cli- all of our clients all the agencies they all work on google drive so they all mm-hmm. have so you can also like merge the two systems together so say like on the playstation job we will start to merge um, different different spreadsheets for different for for different parts, and it's like we can we can work it that way. So it's it's, it's a far more collaborative and it's easier than having a a specific system put in place, which which we sure. all sort of found slowed us down. Yeah, it makes sense. Makes sense. Very nice. Um, going back to the your your shift from going from a someone on the tools to effectively the you know top dog director the do you miss 
the being on the tools. I know you said every now and then you kind of grab the grab the kind of the camera and stuff, but do, do you miss it? <laughs> I'm just laughing at your top dog director. I don't, I don't feel. <laughs> I don't feel, I don't feel like that. Um, do I miss being on the tools? Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I? Sorry if you can hear the baby crying in the background. Um, I was, <clears throat> yeah, I, I really do. And do you know what? This year I've made an active effort. Well, I'm making an active effort at the minute to to fall back in love with stills. And mm-hmm. and I miss that aspect and I miss always carrying a camera and having that. And so, so yes, yeah, yeah. In, in answer to your question, yeah, I, I do miss being on the tools, but... I also enjoy not having to carry the big fucking heavy bag everywhere. <laughs> and my, yeah, my yeah, back is not grateful for it. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, we, like, even though I'll not be on, not be on the tools and be the director, which on set is, it's the most senior position on set. And it's, but it's still, I, I'm still like, I still, happy and i love getting in the trenches right and 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 mm. and i and i and i don't think in fact no i take that back it's not the most senior position on the set but it's like as the director you're bringing all these people together but i still think that the that everyone's role is as important as mine without without that none of it would happen um sure but yeah it's still trying to with- still trying to fall back in love with stills as well and shoot more yeah oh that's good I mean, yeah, I mean, no, no one enjoys dragging all the bags about. Do you know what it was? It was, I got so desensitized to it, carrying these like hunks of camera, like carrying these utilitarian cameras. And I'd go on holiday and I'd always take the F stop bag with like 24, 70, 16, 35, 70, 200. And we'd go out on like, so we went, like, when we were on honeymoon a couple of years ago and went out on this boat and, I'm like changing lens to shoot these shots of this this humpback tail, which is like literally like the little blip that you'll see of this. Hump- and I'm like, <laughs> why why am I doing this? This isn't what I love. And so so yeah, but like going and buying like a smaller Fuji is like revolutionised everything. And just just having mm. a point and shoot, I can walk around and not shooting everything on my phone has been a joy. And um, and what I guess uh, the one other thing I wanted to quickly go back onto is the kind of the skill side of things of what you've had to develop or learn from moving from photography. I mean, obviously we've already discussed how pre-production and that kind of thing, but it, you know, you're managing a team. So I guess communication is something that's so much more important. I mean, it is important when you're a photographer, but you, you know, you are basically quite often working with a much smaller team. So communication aside, is there anything else um, that you've really had to kind of develop as a skill or you felt that you have developed or you feel like you still need to develop? There's definitely a lot that I still need to develop (laughs) (laughs) on a, on a, on a technical level. I needed to, in the early days, I needed to learn the tech specs, like the mm-hmm. the codex, the the frame rates, all of that, how that worked. And and learning that from like a base level helped tenfold. Because you'd get, mm-hmm. if, if someone came to you with a technical question and you could go back to them with the right answer, it, it, like instantly, if, you, if you're there sort of floundering, like, oh, what uh, what export settings do I need this to be at? And you're like, uh, I don't know. And you don't, and yeah. you don't know, like, what codecs do what. And then then that 
the the biggest change the bit a big change for me was obviously i started shooting motion when like the 5d mark ii was like everyone had the 5d mark ii and and i remember like when i first picked it up and i said to this guy who was also shooting video and i was like dude where's the um where's the autofocus how do i autofocus on this he was like you don't <laughs> and i was like what what do you mean what <laughs> and i never i hadn't seen shooting film like i hadn't manual focused a camera and so mm. that was like a baptism of fire and like that now speaking to photographers and people are like oh like people often ask like oh so how how did you make the shift and like the biggest thing for me was like I always say to them, like, don't rely because people are like, oh, the autofocus on these are so good now. I'm like, don't rely on autofocus. Like, still learn how to manually focus because if you do step up into the bigger leagues and you do and you do say get asked to to DP a job or something and they want you to use cine lenses, you're gonna be putting your own focus. <laughs> like, hmm. it's it's. It, it, it just well, hopefully, if it's that bigger job, you might be able to persuade them to get focused. Oh, hundred percent, <laughs> yeah, and and hundred percent. But but I, it's still I don't know. For me, because of my early training in photography, like starting in film and just doing film, like at the first year at university, only shot film, never did anything else. And that for me, it's like I think it's really important to have strong foundations. So not not just relying because autofocus. We all know autofocus is great, but like it's not. It's not like the magic bullet. It doesn't fit every scenario. <laughs> and especially if you've got people crossing frame and then your settings aren't right for that specific and then you've got to go in and change that. It's mm. quicker to just like fiddle it yourself and, and get it sorted. But but um and then skills that I did have that were that I mean a lot of it's it that that basically they're both industries, it's just capturing light, isn't it? It's it's simple in in its simplest form, but they are they're so similar in certain ways, but so different in others, which is why I sort of had to separate myself because what looks good in a still doesn't necessarily, in like a still image, doesn't necessarily convey in a narrative piece where you've got to cut all these different shots together. Like there's not that mm. that one shot of the of the guy with the windows blown in the background. Like, yeah, that looks amazing, in a st but that, that isn't going to make a 30-second piece. So you've got to have all the shots that sort of, come together and mm -hmm. there was certain there was certain like technical aspects like that i would say learn from day one such as like crossing the line like learn what it means to cross the line so when you're shooting a video making sure that you're always on the same side of of the 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 angle of, of frame so that when you cut it, that people aren't jumping from the right hand side to the left hand side to the right hand side to the left hand side um mm -hmm. that things like that but skills that i did have were and where, where i felt like i was well equipped was like the pe the people skills so working in like you you guys will know like working as a portrait photographer on and especially on like an editorial thing like you said you, you sometimes get i would go in and we'd be expecting like an hour with someone and we'd get like three minutes and you instantly yeah. and that happens all the time so you'd instantly have to like build a rapport with someone and mm -hmm. and instantly get them on your get them to work with you and see your vision in a really short time time frame and mm -hmm. i managed to take that and apply that to to motion so that 
when we're working on, say, more of a, a docu piece, being able to put the subject instantly at ease. I mean, it's when you've got a crew of like 10 people behind the camera and you've got people running around and whatnot, it's it's pretty daunting for especially for a lot of these people who haven't ever been in front of the camera which is where i've sort of managed to weirdly get a bit of a get a bit of a niche is shooting these narrative docu sort of branded pieces um with people who aren't talent as such so they're not used to being mm-hmm. in front of the camera they're everyday they're everyday people and being able to put them at ease and put them make them relaxed and get the right especially when it comes down to recording a vo if you've got 10 minutes with someone to be able to instantly put them at ease and build a rapport that skill was like one that i will forever be grateful to the baptism of fire that is portrait photography <laughs> because you know, yeah. transfer that and I, and I don't know it might be the case I felt like it was probably something I told myself I felt like other people at the same similar part time in their career in motion because they'd come up through the motion ranks rather than the stills mm-hmm. they hadn't that's a skill they s- still had to learn and so they'd get on sure. take them take them a bit longer I'm like I say I might be wrong but that's why I tell myself to uh, to feel a bit more comfortable. no I no I complete I completely agree I, do you know what's interesting you, you say about having three minutes and stuff now obviously that is a skill that's quite hard to learn being able to make sure people feel like your best mate within 30 seconds what I've really noticed since shooting, since the whole COVID thing, I don't know if I, you know, then if you've noticed, but there's a pandemic on. Um, since you know that's all kind of, I didn't realize how much of my emotion and how much of my subject's emotion and how much of a connection was just you know provided by the lower half of the face. So now I'm finding it slightly harder going when people turn up in masks. First thing I do when I'm about 60 feet away is I pull down a mask and be like, hi, it's me, just so they instantly know what I look like under the mask and just try and break that barrier. You know, and I know I understand, I totally, you know, completely encourage mask wearing. I'm not suddenly, you know, some crazy anti vaxxer, but like, don't, do you find that it is slightly harder to get that instant connection? Yeah. It's also like, it, 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 we are where we are and it's and it needs to happen but it's 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 also mm. yeah it has it feels like it's slowed down the process like it, it yeah. feels it feels harder to to get that emotional connection to someone i mean it's so mm. seeing that lower half of someone's face is so important like my mum my mum lip reads so like this for her is like a nightmare i was gonna say <laughs> she did lip reads not yeah. currently <laughs> So she she's so like, and I really feel for for people who rely on that form. And it just goes to show how important expression mm. is, especially in our job. Like, and if you're trying to get like in a VO, my the little nuances of my reaction to someone's question, not being like, oh, that's amazing, keep going, keep going. Like behind, I'm not doing that behind the microphone, but with your mm. your facial expressions, like what we're doing now, we're engaging, we're we're like we're signifying okay that's that's a good answer like keep keep going down yeah, that yeah. And, and whatnot you yeah, can yeah, just well, keep looking at I me mean, going adam no no <laughs> if I, imagine well i mean the, it's a it's a funny thing because i've i've my we've not met obviously we've met digitally but you can't see how big i am and so people who know me who are listening to this podcast go oh i know where he's going with this but i throughout my life have had to deal with a lot of quite unique 
problems in a way, in a way that I'm six foot six. I'm a, I'm a big, big bloke. And I am, you know, I used to play ice hockey. I used to be like a forward on the rugby team. Like I, I was, I'm a big bloke. And so my skill is being able to put people at ease, realizing that they're, you know, they're in safe hands, but I'm not a scary guy. I've had old, old ladies cross the street to, to deliberately not walk past me. And that was before COVID. So like for me, the lower part of my face is not more important than for everyone else, but it was, it was a real, I've, I've become very, you know, aware of how important it was for me to help break down that initial kind of not fear because fear I would hate to think that anyone's fearful of me, but like, you know, that kind of that initial impression, I think people go, Oh shit, he's big. He's a big guy. You know? And for me, that that's really been, it's really been kind of a, it's been interesting. I don't know if, well, yeah, I'm sure other people have had it, but for me, it has been, it has been, hence me now pulling my mask down to let people know that I've got, you know, wonky teeth and a big smile heading their way rather than, you know, just six foot six of all dressed in black, scary looking dude. And not scary yeah. looking, not, 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 not that scary looking. It used to be scary. <laughs> terrifying. <laughs> Utterly terrifying. There's um, a reason we've only met only met once, Greg. <laughs> one thing I'd like to kind of one other final question I'd like to ask really is is whether or not you see um, we talked we touched on it very briefly when you're talking about kind of um, well off 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 air we were talking about lighting and and your move to kind of using a lot of LEDs um, and obviously with camera bodies and mirrorless becoming smaller and lighter it's kind of developed and drones and whatever it's really developed what small teams can produce you know the type of production value that a film can have now would have cost tens if not hundreds of thousands to produce 15 Mm. 20 years ago you know like shots that could only be done by a helicopter or shots that could only be done by a steadicam operator who'd been doing it for how many years and had a steadicam rig that cost x amount of money so much of that stuff has been kind of brought down in price do you see any kind of um trends in the way that moving images going or what clients are wanting and and stuff in in terms of how's that then affected the way that people want stuff produced yeah i mean we we as a production company have always how we feel that exploring possible differentiates differentiates ourselves to a lot of other setups is we have always prided ourselves on being agile and small and effective so like we will go to mm. a job and like those dr martin's jobs we can go to them with a crew of three of us and come away with something that looks like it should have been shot by a lot more people mm. and and i think like like the the trend is now that people want quicker like quicker content it's more snackable, like more like little bits rather than well, what we're seeing is people people rather than spending on a huge um big campaign with tons of crew, they now know clients know they can get just as good a product with a smaller team if they've got the right team. So people are searching out 
the like small, agile, effective um, production houses, and and that's not so, like that's not to say the the big boys aren't always going to be around because they are. Um, but with, but I personally, and I think this comes from a stills background. I personally hate being on a set where you've got people just stood around doing nothing. Like a guy's job is to just change the batteries. That's a really that is that is a genuinely a really important role in a crew, but that person can be like and just to be there with the clapperboard that that person will be far more effective and i i want crew members that are far more effective on set and can and can get a lot more so when i said earlier on like we're all very good at doing different jobs that's because that's the way we've set the company up so we can we can all like right. basically if needed to if needs be the cards on the table i needed to record the vo I know how I will record the VO in a shitty hotel room where we've <laughs> put up two mattresses next to the guy and like blankets over the top and 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 yeah, yeah. and do it that way. Oh, it's, we've all made VO. It, we've all made VO forts. <laughs> so like it's yeah. I think I think the trend is that people want everyone wants stuff so much quicker. It was funny like when I, I just moved house recently, so I was clearing out um, my office uh, uh, at home. And I'm just finding all these old DVDs, that, <laughs> DVDs, DVDs that I uh, had. <laughs> what are you uh, saying about VOs? <laughs> <laughs> the, all these old DVDs. You, you can cut that bit out. <laughs> um, <laughs> I found all these old DVDs and whatnot, and I, and I was saying to so my wife's a retoucher, and we mm. were saying like back in back in the day, and I say back in the day, back like nine years ago, like ten years mm. ago. We were like, I would do an edit in a day, like a stills edit in a day, and then burn that onto a disc and send the disc in the post to the client. That was my day of work done <laughs> for, for mm. me, where as, along with all the other bits that are involved. But then like now it feels like people want that edit as I leave set. <laughs> like they want it like yeah. quick. And everyone wants everything yesterday. And so I think like the the that is depends how you look at it. It's a strength and negative because it's obviously it's a positive and a negative because you can look at it like, oh, I can get I can get way more done in a day, or we can be as a company, we can get a lot more jobs in in a short period of time. Mm. But it's also I also I always make sure that the work's not suffering and therefore like when we schedule everything, we make sure that we schedule it all correctly so that we've got time and we make and, mm-hmm. and we make time that way. But I think the trend is that yeah, for me, like everyone wants everything so much, so much quicker. And it's just making sure that you can look at that and manage that and manage client expectations that way. And just and and push yeah. back and say and be honest and say, like, you this you pushing us to hit this deadline will will is that like what is the reason for it? And if they say to us like, "Oh, there's a reason because it has to go to this person who has to sign it off, and they can only work on this day," then it's like, "Okay, fine, I get that." But mm. what I what and what happens to all of us is when you someone says, "I need it by this date," you send them it, and then it doesn't go out for like three or four months, and you're like, yeah. "Why oh, are man. we?" Yeah. <laughs> the link doesn't even get clicked. I, I mean, yeah. I think. Yep. Quite often, as long as you can, um, I mean, we've I've had similar things, and I think you have to be quite upfront with clients to say, listen, we can meet, you know, deadlines which that you're putting in place, but there might be cost implications in terms of if you actually want us to do that 
14 hour workday, then you're going to have to budget in overtime for the assistants and for the crew mm. and mm. you know things like that. I think it's as long as you are. I think where people become unstuck is where they agree to everything and then suddenly they can't that they start to lose money because of it or they start to make a loss because their crew are turning around and you know uh, are saying actually I need overtime because the shoot's gone over or you know you're asking me to work overnight on getting this edit mm-hmm. finished therefore that's overtime and time and a half I think as long as you can kind of manage expectations financially as well and I think that, that you know things should be met but there needs to be adequate compensation when that's required and quite often if in those situations you explain to them why it costs that much more to do it you know within a 24-hour period or 24-hour turnaround or whatever it suddenly magically appears that they don't actually need it done that quickly <laughs> yeah mm. that, that's happened yeah, yeah funny that yeah that happens a lot <laughs> and you say okay yeah why is this so much more expensive than like the other quote which was for a similar job and it's like well the deadline's a lot quicker Oh right. Well, mm. actually, we could probably shift that by a week yeah. or two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think my least favorite thing is when people go, "Oh my god, I really need that urgently." You know, can, you know, whatever you can do to get it to me, and, and I'll, I, you know, I've got servers I can dial into and all that, all that. But sometimes I'll have to run back to the office quickly, do something on the file, and then send it, and then it won't be downloaded for a week. I think as freelancers, our definition of urgent is, oh my God, I must get this done or I won't, I won't get paid. Whereas I think some people, maybe we go, well, it's urgent. And that means like any time in the next two weeks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 100%. I think uh, like as a, a side to this, uh, you were saying about trends, a, a trend, a positive trend I think is that you're we're seeing less and less influencers <laughs> and less and less influencer based content. And I only bring that up because I, 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 I I've got to be careful what I say. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you don't. <laughs> no, but there's been times where I was on a, I was on a job not so long ago for an outdoors brand, and we were with this these influencers, and one of them came up to me and she was like, "Can you can you send us shots of uh, what we were doing? I need them like now for my Instagram." And it was like pouring with rain. We'd been out there all day. It was horrendous, and just the just it was just time to go and that wasn't on the bridge. Like that was not part of the job sending these guys mm-hmm. like, shots. Like, and so we wasn't, we wouldn't, <laughs> it wouldn't have got done anyway, but all, I was just thinking I would rather shit in my hands and clap right now than give you these shots <laughs> because you need them instantly for your personal Instagram. Yeah. Mm. Not my, uh... I do. I do think these lockdowns have been kind of a bit, a bit eye-opening. I think people have gone. Do you know what? I'm a bit, I'm a bit over the whole influencer thing. Like I think with with lockdown, especially you know with the guys who've gone to Dubai and stuff. I think a lot of people have gone. Ah, maybe that's not the you know the best kind of avenue or the best person to include. So I wonder if we'll see less kind of branded content with with influencers in it. Can I just I'm say, not- I think we've, we've found the uh, the title for this episode. It's going to be Adam DeSilva and shitting in your hands and clapping with Adam DeSilva. <laughs> <laughs> that is such a great expression. I love, I love it. <laughs> I love I'm, it. I'm, full, full disclosure, I'm actually in Dubai right now. Is, uh, <laughs> Are you? Yeah, right. Oh, yeah, well. 
<laughs> but you're posting pictures of you from your from your garden from a few months ago. Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. Oh, dear. Yeah. Sensible, sensible. But no, I, I, one thing I'd say, and what I obviously coming on this podcast, one thing I would say is so many photographers, and like I speak to people quite a lot, like. I spoke, I spoke to a guy, um, a photographer who reached out the other day and it was really, it, I love it. He just sent me a message and was like, Hey, I want to get into more motion stuff. Like I love Like I like what you're doing. Can you just offer me some advice? Cause I know that you were a photographer once. And I would genuinely say like everyone that I speak to who's been in that role and they just say, Oh, I want to do video, but I don't know how to do this. Or it just feels really overwhelming. And like what we've been talking about today about all the production and all the crew and all this, it doesn't need to be that. And genuinely sure. like just fucking go for it. Like don't mm-hmm. be afraid of not knowing how to do it. And don't be afraid to reach out to people who do and ask for advice. So that's like I've found in the past few weeks, in the past few months, I like it's so insular, the world that we all mm. work in, this creative world and everyone protected. And you think everyone's protective of all their own things. But we're working on a on a short at the minute, and I just wanted some advice on um, casting. So re- it's basically, I just reached out to this amazing, <laughs> amazing director who is like Bath multiple Bafta nominated, and just basically said, "Oh, with casting, could you just offer me some advice on like the, the like the best route for this project to take?" Mm. And they came back with such an array, such an amazing insight and i and it made me and it made me think like why haven't i been and this was like a while back and i was like why haven't i been doing this more so now like if i did like mm. there was a problem with a there was a problem um with a with a job recently uh, a little while back and i reached out to a, a director and said have you ever had this happen and and he was mm. like yeah yeah absolutely this has happened and this is what this is what i did to combat it and i think just just what's been great about this lockdown and about the the positive i'm going to take out of covid is just being able to talk opening up and talking to other people within our within our, in our industry whether it's like photographers sounds sounds people um actors and and just being being forthcoming but like what the one thing i wanted to like get in is that like don't let the oh i've got uh, like i've got to pull my own focus don't let that put you off or any of that mm. just just do it I so I got three points from that. So I'm gonna I'm gonna blitz them real quick. Number number one, I'm a huge advocate of reaching out to people and asking for advice and following into that. Now the reason, interestingly, the way you said it, uh skip back a few seconds and listen to how Adam says, you know, about the questions. You're not getting in touch going, hi, I'm you know, you've gone, right, here's a good question. Like when I get when I get questions in my inbox, or if I get a phone call, being like, "Hey, mate, look, if you if you had this, I love a well formatted, good, detailed question because I can go. Well, that's not open ended. This is you know you are after actual advice. When you get in touch with people and go, "Oh, hello, mate, have you got any advice about moving image? That's like <laughs> like what like what like what is it you want to know? Like that you know." Pfft, google it first and then come to me with some proper questions because like when you when you've just said that you reached out to the director and you say oh this is the issue have you ever had it well of course the, the question is well yes i have had it and and this is how i sold it you know if you if you go into him and go hello mate and then here's just some open-ended question that he can't possibly answer 
I get it all the time. Actually, less in lockdown, but before I used to have it with students all the time. Mm. And it'd be like, here's a completely open-ended question that I could write, you know, a ten, I could write a dissertation on it. You know, what What exactly? I don't have any time. You, people don't have time. Even during all this, they don't have time. So if you can go to people with a really succinct question, you're way more likely to get an answer. It's also about approach, though, isn't it? I mean, some people will just ask the question and be like, okay, thanks. And you're like, <laughs> yeah, I've just spent, you know, half an hour writing that email back to you with like knowledge that's taken me 15 years to learn. And you've just gone, cool, mm. thanks. <laughs> yeah. right, tell, you what, tell you what, though, Greg, at least you get a response it's true. I So one of the reasons I now have, so I have a generic reply that goes out to most people who email me in, and it's not because I don't want to answer them. It's because over the years, I've answered so many of them, and actually very few have come back to me. Yeah, yeah the, that's, uh, that is one of those things. It's, uh, I don't know. Do you, I mean, do you find that, like, apart from with this guy reaching out, are you... I guess communication is so different now with lockdown as well. Like the fact, the very fact that we're having this conversation and conducting a podcast entirely virtually is a game changer. Um, And now as you did though, with that PlayStation ad, you know, the fact that you are directing something entirely remotely. I mean, it's things aren't going to go back to normal necessarily because they're fundamentally going to be changed because we can now do things that we couldn't do before. Oh, a hundred percent. Like it's completely different. I was chatting, I was chatting to someone yesterday about like how London, London's going to change and they was, and, and it's going to be a completely different, a completely different vibe. And, and mm. I think collab, it's weird because you can, in some senses, I think we've been more collaborative on projects because when you are together, you really value that time. So when you're on a video call together, you really value that time. So every every day we start our day at EI with a um, like a group a group video call, and everyone goes through sort of what their day looks like and what and what need and what we need to do or what we haven't done and whatnot. And when we were in the office and everyone was there, like that that happened, but like almost subconsciously, you didn't really it didn't really happen. We didn't set out. Oh, this is our morning meeting every time. We, it just wasn't the vibe that we that we mm. purposefully avoided. We were like, oh, we don't want it. We don't want that to. We don't want to be too official and cool, man. Um, so, so we didn't. But I think <laughs> like having that, having that um, structure and and communication and talking and just being just being open and talking to people and also. Yeah, I think I'm. I think I'm rambling on a, on a tangent, but just reaching That's out. Good. And... Do you, Sorry. Do John. you think people's product? No. Do you think people's productivity as a result of having to schedule Zoom calls and stuff? Do you think people's productivity has gone up? Because I know when people were worried about working from home, a lot of big companies are like, "Oh, I don't know." People's productivity. They might be in their pajamas a lot. Um, but for me, I've been working from home my entire career, so I've always felt quite productive but i've got the feeling that from all the people i've been meeting on zooms and stuff that they're quite enjoying how much work they can get done because they're able to focus you know say for example they got a morning of zooms but then the the afternoon's completely free and they're like right instead of getting interrupted by people at the desk you know i can just get on with my stuff on the flip side of that there's obviously a huge amount of spontaneity that's missing because instead you know if we three were in an office i'd be like oh just go and ask greg that 
Whereas now I'd be like, hello, Greg, can I please schedule a Zoom? You know, there's a lot of spontaneity that's kind of gone from just popping over and seeing people. Yeah, I think productivity is a hard one. Because I think like when you do have that time together and you are on a you are on a Zoom or a G meet or whatever, like you have to make the most of that time. So you get everything into mm. everything into that. And but I also I worry I worry that sometimes you go into agencies and agencies will have meetings for the sake of meetings sometimes <laughs> or mm. or just companies will have meetings for the same we'll have a meeting about the next meeting and and i think finding finding time to uh, yeah i i don't know i don't know the answer i think it productivity yes and no in, e- in equal measure I mean, how do you how do you how do you quantify it Exactly. I think yes, because people squeeze in what they can, but no, because for me, it, I I miss. I, I love working from home, and I still do it a lot. But I miss the office mm. because when I went to the office, I could um, I could fully focus, and I didn't have my uh, wife popping in saying, "Oh, could you just watch Ellen for five minutes?" So I just need to nip out <laughs> and and do something. And it's like ah, that five minutes just that takes me out for 10 minutes of my mindset. And then, yeah, Yeah, yeah. in in some ways it's positive and in some ways it's negative. Mm. Well, I think, I mean, that's a, it's a good place to start to wrap things up. Obviously one thing we always ask our guests before they go is, um, is a desert Island camera and the desert Island photo book. Now I can't remember if we prepped you for this. Um, No, I don't think we did. Right. So let's, let's, let's go. <laughs> so what we always ask our guests is like, try and pick a book that you really, really enjoy, like a photo book um, that gives you, gives you joy or if you've, you've seen over the years, that's really kind of influenced you or changed the way you think about things. And then a camera, which is a lot easier because you can pretty much say anything. We can't really argue with you. <laughs> if you want to start with the camera, that that's probably the easier bit. Um, I mean, photo book, I would have to say. Adam's quickly looking up top 10 photo books that no, make no, you sound no. like an intellectual. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, look, I'll buy you, I'll buy you some no, time. I, my I, wife I, very kindly, sorry. I was going to say my wife very kindly bought me Helmut Newton's, uh, workbook for Valentine's day. No, do you know awesome. what? I actually just tidied up the office and I put away, um, the Gregory Crudson beneath the roses and that's still that's still every time i look at it i go oh my god that is stunning but that Mm, isn't but and it it fires me up to be like oh my god look at what you can do that is like it's interesting because it's so cinematic it's so cinematic Mm. so that obviously that speaks to you especially now i guess but my my all-time the one book i would take purely because it meant so much to me as like a young up and coming photographer with basically, basically anything from like Walker Evans and Dorothea Lang's like FSA photography, but uh, Robert mm-hmm. Frank, Robert Frank, the Americans would be like my, Good Robert shout. Frank, the Americans would be my, my all time. I would take that cause I could never get bored of looking at those images. Like they're just, yeah. they're just yeah, nice. cool and honest and real and stunning. I have an edition which has got a kind of a dissection. I can't remember who wrote it. It's over there on the shelf, but it's just out of sight. Um, and it is amazing because it's not only all of the work, but then it's kind of all of the notes and letters and kind of contact sheets and extra stuff. And it's just oh, wow. 
such a gem to dive into like it's such an indulgent thing to kind of sit there and just kind of get lost in the work which is great yeah um, so what's your camera then camera mm. do you know our mine's mine's really really boring i have to say mine would simply be because it was such a workhorse and it did like I put it down earlier when I was like, utilitarian gear, but like a, fi- a, 5D Mark, <laughs> a 5D Mark III, I think will forever, I'll forever love that camera. And like for, for so many reasons, ergonomically, I would love to say something like a Mamiya or a Hasselblad or something like more arty, but no, or I think it would, I'd have to go, um, just be just being honest, that, that camera, I had some real... Special moments with it. Yeah. <laughs> Continue yeah. to have special moments with it. What you do with the camera is entirely up to you on the island. <laughs> yeah. No, the, uh, yeah. On that note. Yes. <laughs> I think we should well, end <laughs> <laughs> well, look, Adam, thank you so much for coming on the show. Really, really appreciate it. That was, a, that was an awesome chat. So really appreciate you taking the time. No, thank you. All um, right. I hope I didn't ramble too much. <laughs> no, no you were great. great. This was great. great. Cheers, Adam. Thanks, guys. Right. Well, thanks for listening to this latest episode, guys. Um, If you want to get in touch with the show, there are a myriad of ways to reach out to us. You can follow us on Instagram at xnegative. You can email us at info at exposednegative.com. And the website is exposednegative.com. We are also on Twitter at Exposed Negative, and personally, you can follow us if you really want to stalk people. Um, we are at Greg Fennell and at TomBarnes.com, and that is words.com, not symbols. Thank you. Bye.